Welcome to the Article to Audio podcast, brought to you by the NAC team. NAC, N-A-C, stands for Negotiation and Conflict. NAC is made up of a team of scholars who are passionate about the teaching, research, and practice of negotiation and conflict management. We offer you this podcast series to highlight the work of global academic thought leaders who have a knack for negotiating and managing conflict. The Article to Audio podcast interviews authors who have published research on negotiation and conflict management that advances theory and informs practice in the field. I'm Michael Gross, and I teach in the Department of Management College of Business at Colorado State University, and today I'm your host. Today we have two guests, David Hunsecker and Teng Zhang. David is a Global Network Assistant Professor of Management and Organizations at the Stern School of Business, New York University. He has a joint appointment at the NYU Shanghai. His research interests include negotiation, emotion, culture, and subjective value. He teaches courses on negotiation, conflict management, and organizational behavior and has presented research all over the world. His greatest achievement, which requires his best negotiation, communication, and organizational skills, is raising a beautiful family of eight children with his wife and best friend, Melissa. Tang is Assistant Professor of Management at Penn State Harrisburg. He received his PhD in Business Administration from the David Eckley School of Business at the University of Utah. His research examines behavioral ethics, morality, conflict management and negotiation, and social hierarchy in organizations. We will be discussing uh, their article. It's called Getting Off to a Hot Start, How the Timing of Expressed Anger Influences Relational Outcomes in Negotiation. This article was published in Negotiation and Conflict Management Research, Volume 15, Issue 4. In 2023, David and Tang received the Best Article Award for an article published in 2022. Congratulations on your scholarly recognition and winning an award-winning article. Well, welcome to our podcast. You have a fascinating research question in your study. Essentially, your article boils down to should negotiators express anger in a negotiation? Can you share with our listeners a personal story that brought you to this question? Yeah, this is a great question. Um, so I was, you know, I was raised to be a nice, cooperative and collaborative person and, um, you know, raised the way I was taught was that ex- expressing anger isn't how you get what you want. Um, and so during the PhD program, you know, I, I love the idea of negotiation and I love the idea of people coming together to make deals. And then I was in this class and I read the literature on anger in negotiation. And I was surprised that one of the prevailing findings was that anger expression could be used to get yourself a better deal. And it, it never it had, it had never occurred to me that anger could be used as a strategy. And so I and I felt like some of the literature I was reading was suggesting that anger was a good strategy. So I thought, you know, uh, this, you know, it's to me this it doesn't sit quite right. And I think there's probably more to the story here. I think there's probably more to this. And so I started 
researching anger and I started running anger studies to see if I could understand it better. And I ended up doing a review on the anger literature. And that's when Tung and I realized that, you know, nobody had looked at the timing of anger. Did you have a personal story uh, thing that you wanted to share also, or is it just David's story? Um, I think it's, it was mainly, mainly David's story. Um, and we just had the same interest and we were just wondering um, how timing of anger expression could affect uh, the relational outcomes of the anger expressor. So we started to get some data and work down the, the project. All right, thank you. Yeah, and oh, oh, go ahead. And and I will also share that, um, you know, there have been times in my life where, many times in my life where I was in a negotiation and anger occurred naturally. And um, either either for me or for the people I was watching, and I kind of watched how, you know, how it behaved and how it, you know, it, it didn't seem to accomplish much in the situation and um, ultimately ended up, you know, ruining relationships. And so I kind of wondered, you know, so that's, I think that's why I was so surprised that these findings that I were reading were, were suggesting that anger was a good idea because my immediate thought was all of the, you know, all the things that could go wrong when you express anger. So in the, in the article, primarily you argue that negotiators who express anger at the late stages of a negotiation will have a worse relational outcome than those who express anger at the early stages of a negotiation or those who express no anger at all. So tell us more about your argument. Sure, so um, we know from prior research uh, in negotiation that anger expression is a double-edged sword because while well, expressing anger can help negotiators improve their economic outcomes, doing so tends to hurt their relationships uh, with the other party as David was talking about. Um, so what, what we don't know much about is whether the timing of anger expression may also influence negotiators' relational outcomes. So that is the focus of our research. So we draw on prior research on the temporal stages and phases of negotiation and argue that negotiators who express anger at late stages of a negotiation will have worse relational outcomes than those who express anger at early stages. So this is mainly because early stages of a negotiation typically consist of negotiated behaviors such as posturing, positioning, and more competitive bargaining to establish power in that negotiation. So the recipients of anger will hardly be surprised at this stage of a negotiation because it is likely, we think, that they already expect their counterparts to engage in some form of posturing and positioning. Um, and anger expression meets that expectation. In contrast, late stages of a negotiation tend to see a move away from exclusively competitive bargaining and a, an adoption of increasingly cooperative negotiation strategies and tactics and behaviors. So as a result, when anger is expressed at late stages of a negotiation, the recipients will likely find it unexpected, especially when the parties have spent a lot, large amount of time uh, in making offers and concessions and are getting close to an agreement. So that is our main arguments about the timing of anger expression and relational outcomes in negotiation. Very nice. Your article, and you just now also mentioned, uh, talks about the economic benefits of anger expression in a, in a negotiation and the range of possible relational damage 
caused by anger expression. So what are some examples for our listeners? Yeah, so let me let me start uh, in answering this question. Let me start by just saying a lot of people view negotiation as a one-time activity. They they picture, you know, negotiating, trying to get a good deal, and then that's that's the end of the story. But most negotiations that we uh, engage in are with people with whom we have long-term relationships. So whether it be repeat clients or coworkers, colleagues, or other people in our same industry that we're you know, almost certain to interact with again. And I would argue that the, the one-time negotiation uh, where you'll never see that person again is actually relatively rare. So yes, we can imagine scenarios where expressing anger one time might intimidate the other party into giving bigger concessions, but we can also immediately realize that the feelings left over from that negotiation will damage a relationship into the future. Um, one example that's maybe easy to picture in your mind would be like a new employee negotiating for a salary. If that new employee were to express anger toward his or her, her boss, your, you know, their new boss during the salary negotiation, it's going to make it very difficult to have a good relationship with that boss on the first day of work. And those feelings will carry over into the whole working relationship. So, you know, there, there may be temporary economic benefits from expressing anger, but the relational benefits typically, you know, are, are much longer lasting and can affect negotiation opportunities and outcomes into the future. I was thinking of the instance of um, when you, if you go to a car dealership, I don't know if people still do that anymore. Maybe everyone's buying their cars online, but, or if, or maybe even like um, those online places, what is it? Facebook marketplace. I don't know all the names of them, but that might be more, I think of a one-time uh, negotiation. And I wondered if maybe if you thought that based on your research and other work, if that's where maybe there's more anger expression than say one that has a stronger relational context or, or yeah, if that's I, not the case. No, I think you're absolutely right. You know, I, I think that's what people picture when they're thinking about negotiation. Um, and but even in those short term contexts, a lot of it depends on how much, you know, how much negotiating power you have in the situation. And if if you're you know, if there are many other buyers for this for this item on, say, Facebook Marketplace and you're coming in expressing anger, um, it will you know, it will likely backfire and that that seller will you know, just move on to another buyer. If you're the only buyer for some reason and they're really desperate to sell, then, then maybe expressing anger will lower the price. But so even in these one-off instances, it can really be um, fairly unpredictable whether anger will help or hurt you. Thank you. So um, in your work, you hypothesize that negotiators who express anger um, at late stages of the negotiation will have worse relational outcomes, which you've already talked about than those who express anger at early stages um, or at all. So um, tell us how you conducted your study. How did, how were you able to capture this? Yeah, so to, to test our hypotheses, uh, we conducted an online study and a face-to-face -face study. So study one was a computer-mediated negotiation. Uh, online participants uh, first read a scenario about purchasing a used furniture set online. So they were told that they would be paired with another online participant who would play the role of the seller, um, 
pretty similar to the example that David was talking about. Uh, so they were negotiating for the price of the furniture set. So in reality, the computer was the seller. To, man to, to manipulate the timing of expressed anger, participants were randomly assigned to one of three experimental conditions. The control condition, which was no anger, uh, early, condition, early anger condition, and then late anger condition. So in the control condition, participants received neutral messages from the seller in all six rounds. Uh, in the early anger condition, participants received an angry message from the seller in round one and neutral messages in all other rounds. In the late anger condition, participants received an angry message from the seller in round five and neutral messages in all other rounds. So in, in study two, we recruited some MBA students at a large university in the US to, partic to participate in a face-to-face -face dispute resolution exercise. So all participants in the role of the buyer were instructed to express anger during the negotiation. To manipulate the timing of expressed anger, the, the buyers were randomly assigned to one of two conditions. So this time only the early anger and the late anger conditions. So those in the early anger condition were instructed to act angry for the first 10 minutes of the negotiation and those in the late anger condition were instructed to act angry for 10 minutes beginning at the halfway point in the negotiation. So which was approximately 22 minutes into the planned 45 minutes negotiation. Uh, and the buyers were instructed to display anger by raising their voice, frowning, interrupting the other party and or banging their fists on the table, right? So they received some coaching prior to the negotiation to make um, the expressed anger more real and more believable. Um, so that is the basic design of our two studies, one online and the other face-to-face. -face. So what results did you find from your study? So the results were, you know, really fascinating. Basically, we measured, we measured, we had two main dependent variables. One was feelings about the relationship, which is part of the subjective value inventory. So basically it's four questions about how do you feel about the relationship now that negotiations over. And then the other measure was desire for future interaction, which is basically how much do you want to work with this person again in the future? And both feelings about the relationship and desire for future interaction were lower when anger was expressed toward the end of the negotiation than when anger was expressed at the beginning. And that was the case in both studies. What were the key takeaways from your study that listeners can walk away with after listening to our podcast? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think one of the key takeaways from our research is that um, negotiators need to be cautious about expressing anger during a negotiation if they want to achieve long-term success. Um, in particular, it is in their best interest to view their anger expression through a temporal lens um, because anger is commonly experienced, uh, negative emotion in the negotiation, as we were uh, talking about, uh, negotiators may be tempted in a negotiation to express it throughout a negotiation to either convey their toughness um, and try to claim more value from the other party. Um, however, our research shows that from a long-term relational point of view, it makes sense for negotiators to be strategic about when they express anger during a negotiation, if at all. Um, well, expressing anger at early stages of a negotiation could both their, uh, their position by sending a clear signal of toughness, uh, negotiators are better served uh, relationally by using alternative methods to communicate their frustration 
um, and disapproval at late stages of a negotiation. So David was talking about you know, natural anger occurring in the negotiation that can be very common, uh, but we're arguing, we're saying that based on our findings, that that may not be a good idea, especially at the toward the end of a negotiation. So for instance, for instance what they could do instead is um, not express anger toward their counterparts, but instead try to emphasize what all parties stand to gain from a potential agreement, or maybe even firmly point out what their counterparts could potentially lose if in the event of an impasse. So especially when a mutually beneficial agreement is well within reach um, at the end of the negotiation. So in a nutshell, uh, negotiators definitely need to think twice about if and especially when they express anger in a negotiation context. As I was looking at this article again, and I went back to NCMR, I see that you both have done other work or maybe not necessarily together, but you've continued to publish. So your line of research is really relevant to people's lives. So uh, you can talk about um, some studies that you've done if you want to uh, since then, but what might be some future directions for your research? Well, I'll start by just talking about future directions specifically, you know, in this area. Um, basically, our, you know, our, our findings are, are very robust, but, uh, but we, in this paper, we didn't address why this is happening. I mean, we, we hypothesized why this might be happening. Why is anger so damaging at the end of a negotiation versus at the beginning? Um, but really, more studies need to be done to really um, flesh out and, and understand the reasoning. It could be that, you know, it could be that at the beginning of the negotiation, people expect a little bit more competition and toward the end of the negotiation, people expect more cooperation. And so maybe their expectations are being violated toward if anger is expressed toward the end of the negotiation and maybe that's why the relational outcomes are so poor. Um, or it could be that when anger is expressed toward the beginning of, of the negotiation, there's time to kind of repair the trust before the negotiation's over. Um, we really don't know. And so future directions, at least in this area, would be to figure out what is the underlying mechanism um, for this effect. Um, as far as other work that I'm doing right now, Tung and I actually um, have also done some work on how anger expression leads to uh, feelings of guilt and lower subjective value for anger expressors. Um, so that's, you know, Tung and I work a lot in the area of subjective value and um, it's interesting to know that expressing anger doesn't just decrease the satisfaction or subjective value of the other party, it also decreases your own satisfaction or subjective value uh, with the deal. And, uh, and I'll just mention one, one other uh, project that I'm working on right now is trying to understand why people choose to negotiate or not negotiate in the first place. Um, and, you know, there, there's been, there's, there's a history of work in this area, but, um, but my colleagues and I have run some studies that indicate that Americans specifically are extremely uncomfortable with negotiating and they, and actually there's a large, a large, uh, a large, uh, part of the population up to maybe even 50% that would be willing to pay money to avoid negotiating which maybe is why we're starting to, you know, why you ask that question, do people go to car dealerships anymore? Um, a lot of people want to avoid negotiating and there are, you know, companies trying to take advantage of that and, and advertising, you know, no haggling and, and uh, no need to negotiate and, you know, 
Um, so it's an interesting phenomenon, at least here in America, and, and we we believe we we believe that it's a very culturally bound phenomenon, um, and that it's you know it's very different in other places. But at least here in America, people are are really moving away from the idea of negotiating and really doing everything they can to avoid it. And so we want to understand why that's happening and what we can do to, you know, encourage people to negotiate because we know that negotiation has uh, often has benefits for both parties and we can't, um, you know, we can't create that value or claim those benefits unless we're willing to engage. Ping, did you want to add uh, to anything that you're doing or tell us about uh, your future research? Sure. So one of the uh, the other future directions that we were talking about pursuing is really to look at potential cross-cultural differences in you know, understanding how timing influences relational outcomes. Because we know from research that uh, there are some cultures in which expressing negative emotions such as anger is not appropriate. So our samples were strictly US-based, you know, Western sort of samples and, you know, population. Uh, but we wanted to look at, for example, East Asian um, participants, right, how they view uh, the express, uh, you know, the expression of anger, whether the timing of that uh, matters. Because one, you know, one uh, possibility is that no matter when anger is ex ex expressed, it's considered to be inappropriate. Uh, no matter what, no matter when that's expressed, so that could be a difference. Or maybe it does matter in those cultures as well. So that would be one of the things that we want to pursue in the future, just to look at you know, the, the influence of culture, um, people's understanding and expectation uh, for you know, expressed anger or some other emotions uh, in the negotiation uh, context. As both of you were talking about um, recent research you've published and your future directions, I didn't know if say, I don't know if it's the recency effect but sort of um, the last impression of expressed anger is what lingers with people. So even though there might be this expectation at the beginning of a negotiation when people are posturing, um, but you know you think that you want to end things on a positive note, and so it's not ending on a positive note with the expression of anger, and if that has a lot to do with it. The other thing that ran past my mind is. You go online and there's just a ton of web pages and of advice for negotiating your salary. So if we're moving away from negotiation, are we? Does that also include negotiating our salaries, or is that more of a function like when you're younger, maybe you don't do that as much, but then when you've worked for a little bit and you're a little bit older, you're you're more willing, you're more tolerant for the expression of anger and the receiving of someone's expressed anger and you're willing to bargain and you know be more assertive and, and willing to negotiate those were the things that were crossing my mind like in the work situation for a salary it might be different or is it not are we still pulling away from that you know i think that's a great question there there is some i, I think there are a lot of answers to that question and and I you know I don't have any any data to back up to back up my suspicions, but um, a lot of my students are um, have heard that they should be negotiating their salary, but don't have any you know don't have any real experience doing it or have never actually watched somebody do it. And and part of me thinks that that's because you know when you're first when you're first starting out in your career, you have less leverage. 
And so maybe negotiating your salary is, um, you know, something that's not as, you know, maybe you don't have as much power to do that in, in, when you're younger in your career. And as you get older in your career, you have more skills and more specially, more specialized. And, and so maybe you have more leverage and you're more willing to ask for, for what you want as you join a company. Um, but I also think it's interesting. There are a lot of states and regions that are um, changing their laws so that employers are, um, are uh, legally obligated to put a, the salary range right on the announcement. And a lot of the leverage used to be in the company's hands because the company had all the information and didn't post a salary range. And also many companies ask applicants, how much do you, are you hoping to make? Um, which I, you know, which I consider to be um, putting, putting the candidates in a dis disadvantageous position because it's, you know, it's forcing them to put out a number before they even have, before they're even being considered, right? Um, so I think some of these laws are changing the dynamics of the negotiation. And just yesterday, I was having a conversation with my students about, you know, um, because I, because some of these laws are new and we're not quite sure how they're behaving, I, at least personally, I'm not sure how much of the time these salary ranges that are posted are actually correct. Um, you know, how much, how much information is still being concealed by the companies about the range that they're willing to accept. So it's just kind of an interesting discussion. We, at least personally, when I, when I teach my students, I try to just encourage them to not be afraid to ask and also to be realistic about, um, about the leverage that they have in the situation and what, you know, what they should be willing to accept. Tim, what are your thoughts? Um, so I think, you know, the research that we have done together in this area really points to the, the need to, you know, be flexible and to have, you know, clear preferences and priorities. So usually it's not just one issue negotiation, it's multi-issue negotiation. Um, so in the, you know, salary negotiation, salary is just only one of the um, issues under discussion. There are other things like job assignments or benefits or other things, right? So one of the things that um, students or others can consider is how many issues are there and then what are their preferences? If they cannot get what they want from the salary uh, issue, then maybe there are some things that they can ask for and that would, you know, make it easier for the company or for the, you know, employer to say yes to, right? If they have that flexibility and they have that clear strategy in terms of how do we, you know, think about the multi-issues and how do we make trade-offs so that, you know, they're not perceived to be, you know, too greedy or, you know, un unreasonable, but instead, you know, they're um, really building on that um, relationship with their future, em future employer and, you know, the image of very flexibility and um, so that I think cooperation and collaboration. So I think that's very important as well because one of our two studies um, was distributive in nature. Just one issue was with price of the furniture set and the other study was actually a negotiation exercise that offered some integrated potential. So multi-issue negotiation. So I think that's uh, more common in um, our lives and that's something that uh, people need to focus on is how to you know think about those different areas and then how to be uh, strategic about what they ask for and how they ask for those things. Well, that's a very good note. That's unangry for us to end on. 
Thank you both very much for being guests and participating in the podcast today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you to our guests today for an engaging conversation. For more information about this episode, we hope you'll check out the podcast notes on the NAC website at www.negotiationandconflictteam.com. And negotiation and conflict team is one word. It's all together, no spacing. www.negotiationandconflictteam.com. There you can find additional sources and links to materials cited in this episode. On behalf of our podcast team, Ming Hong Sai, Laura Reese, Jennifer Parlamas, Michael Gross, that's me, and Deborah Sai, thank you for listening to our podcast series. Please tell a friend about our podcast, and we hope you'll join us next time for another fascinating discussion that brings us from article to audio.